It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey Labounty along with Michael Bronner behind the glass. And we have an outstanding show scheduled for you today here along the Gulf Coast. And we're going to have... UAB's head coach, Trent Dilford, joining us momentarily. Tom Stipe from the Crimson Tide Sports Network talking about Alabama. Lindsey Crosby will join us. And, of course, 5 and 5.30, we have our Tide and Tiger report as we're scheduled to talk with Cole Kublik and Mike Mick Gillespie. And want to start today's show with welcoming and making his debut here to the final drive in Mobile, Alabama at WNSP. Trent Dilfer. Coach, good afternoon, and thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Coach, I tell you, you were the seventh program head coach in UAB's history, and you've had an opportunity to start spring practice a lot early, but there's some familiar names that are on this roster from the Mobile Baldwin County area. Of course, Jermaine Skull Brown being one of those running backs, and you've had some other players along that transferred in, the transfer porter, A.D. Diamond from Auburn, Desmond Little from LSU, but the continued success of your program is something I know that you're excited about getting into the college coaching game yeah i am it's been a really fun i think 120 something days or something i've been on the job and uh, it's been fun to put together a, a building that loves kids that wants to give them the tools to be successful in life and on the football field and are great teachers a uh, bunch of players who's really growing to love uh they're great kids they're working hard they're changing their habits um, it's just been a it's been a fun growth process. We we talked about uh, our first team meeting that it was all about earning each other's trust, and it started with me earning their trust. And hopefully, I've done that with how I've treated them and how I've put the building together and how we structure uh, our interactions interactions with them, how we hold them accountable, and they hold us accountable as well. So. Um, they started calling me too fat, so I got back to working out. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really been a fun ride so far, and I'm, I'm really excited about the prospects of this team. Well, I tell you what, Coach, you're just in a historic city in Birmingham, Alabama, and really just the state of Alabama, a recruiting hotbed in regards to per capita. I know Mobile, Baldwin County produces more NFL dudes than anybody in the country per capita when you start looking at NFL so you know the talent is here in the state of Alabama but talk about the transition from going from high school football as a high school football coach in Tennessee now branching out to coaching on the college level you know I've had a hard time answering this question I've been asking a lot because I don't want to sound um I don't want to belittle the, the, the gravity of this job, but I don't think a lot of people understood what we did in Nashville. We ran it very much like a Power Five. 
so without recruiting either and you know admissions is you recruiting in private school sector in Tennessee so you didn't recruit athletes um, the admissions department recruited student bodies and if they happened to be athletes that was a bonus so Outside of the the recruiting process, this has been almost identical to the build at Lipscomb. Um, you know, you're trying to create a feel in your building. You know, people call it culture, but all culture really is is how people feel. Um, you don't want lip service. You want them to feel cared for, loved, uh, held accountable, pushed, high standards, um, affirmed. I think our building fills that way. You want to have a lot of complexity in the way you do things. You want highly sophisticated processes. We have those here. Uh, and then the recruiting piece, like I said in my press conference, I said I'd learn it on the fly, and we did. I think we had a great recruiting class. Nobody knows how good the recruiting class is going to be for a year or two until they put on pads and play in big moments and play on the road in a one-score game in the fourth quarter. But we feel really good about how we recruited. We feel really good about how this recruiting cycle is going as well. The type of player that's interested in this program, we have we have uh, the majority of the players interested in our program right now are Power Five kids, um, and they're they're very excited about being a part of what we're building. So it hasn't been as um, big of a change as many people I think thought it would be for me. Coach, Alabama is obviously a, a football first state, and UAB just a, a program with so much potential. H- how much was taking the job at, at UAB specifically the right opportunity for you versus the desire to coach at a high-level college program? It was much more the first. I, I actually did not have a desire about eight weeks before I took this job. I, I don't know how much you know the story. I've told it publicly, but I don't know, about six to eight weeks before – I took this job, my wife and I were talking, and I was being pursued by three other mid-majors in the Southeast, and um, I kind of looked at her and I said, I really don't know if I want to do this. You know, these aren't good fits. I like where we're at. I like the stage of life we're at. We're new, we're new grandparents. We live right near our grandson. Uh, we're built, we built, we took a program that was the 3,000-thing program in the country when I got there and turned into a top-10 program in the country. We felt like we could become maybe the best program in the country. Um, we were pouring kids into colleges. They were, even the ones that weren't going to college were going on to be, I mean, to play college football were going on to college to do the things they wanted to do and were coming back really successful and fulfilled. We helped change a community. I got very fulfilled. But UAB was different. You know, UAB had Alabama. I mean, it is the recruiting uh, hotbed in the country. It has great high school coaches, and that's something that's not talked enough about, is that, you know, there's one thing about recruiting an athlete, but there's another thing about recruiting an athlete that's been developed well. Uh, The state of Alabama, and this is probably why the highly successful programs in college football recruit Alabama so well, is because they know they're getting a highly developed player a player that's been held to high standards, a player that's been asked to do a lot off the field, a player that has toughness, that has grit, has football IQ, has played in big games and played in big atmospheres, has responded to all different types of coaching. You know, So that was the thing that was really exciting. Uh, Bill Clark had built such a knee. I had gotten to know Bill over the years a little bit, uh, and just you know his, his ability to, to build something out of the dirt the culture he created, like there's a lot going on here. And, and quickly I was persuaded to leave my perspective of not going to college football into going to college football, both by my wife and by the people here at UAB. 
Coach, you talked about you, iron sharpens iron. So one of the most important things behind you being successful and making that transition was hiring a staff that, that you got to know and had an opportunity to turn it around real quickly. And I know Coach Ernest Hill, a former McGill Tulin coach down here, had an opportunity to remain on your staff. But talk about your other staff members and how important that was for you to get established in Birmingham with having a great staff. Well, we kept some really fine coaches that were here. Matt McCants, Ernest, as you mentioned, uh, Henley, uh, Brigham, uh, Lyle Henley, uh, and a few, Tristan Henderson, our recruiting director. So we kept some guys. Taylor Dupuis, who's a mobile guy, going to be an absolute rock star coach. Uh, so we kept uh, what we felt were the right kind of fits for us um, from BV and Bill's staff. Uh, and they have they've exceeded expectations. I think the mobile piece was really important. We wanted deep mobile connections. I know that I had to earn the people and mobile's trust. Like you just can't be an outsider and roll in and start saying, you know, listen to me. I know what I'm doing. Like you got to earn people's trust. You got to be accessible. You got to um, let them know that you know you're willing to listen and and want to be. You want to be connected in those communities. So that's a big piece of it. And then I've been really fortunate. You know, I have a 42-year football life. I had a 14-year NFL career, nine in ESPN, was very involved at all all levels of the NFL, college football, high school football. I built the Elite 11. I, re, I had a, a lot of really good players on my team at Lipscomb, so I was constantly dealing with the college coach. It's got a really big network. Uh, when I say really big, a really big network of coaches, strength, conditioning, you know, everybody in every department from around the country that wanted to join me and do this. So we feel like we, we put together um, as good a staff as you could put together in the country. We have a lot of young guys that are going to be head coaches at, at all levels of college football. We have some wily old vets that have been there and done that. It have been the best of the best in some other programs. So I feel like I have a really good balance of coaches, a lot of great teachers, a lot of great men. That's the other thing. We don't, we don't have a lot of hollers and screamers and coaches that are doing it for themselves. We have coaches that are in it for the kid that truly have the kid's best interest in mind. We're speaking with Trent Dilfer, who is currently the head football coach at UAB, a former pro bowler along with the Super Bowl champion as well and coach when you start looking at what you've been able to establish and when you set foot in Birmingham Alabama protective stadium having fine facilities right there off I-65 or for any recruit that comes into your program your indoor facility as well as protective stadium talk about getting those spring practices in so far and how the competition has gone at different positions for your team yeah, we have great facilities. Thank you for bringing it up. You know, it's a great city, um, so there's a lot to offer here for, for a student-athlete. Um, and, you know, the things that matter to a football player. I think every, you know, I have three daughters who played uh, college volleyball. One still does. And, you know, they, they might have been looking for something different than a football player is looking for. But, you know, this city, this program has pretty much everything you're looking for as a college football player. Uh, spring ball's been off to a really good start. Uh, you know, we're really big on teaching football. Um, people talk about systems and schemes all the time. They're very important. But more importantly is that your kids just, you know, develop a high football IQ. You know, a lot of higher education is just learning how to learn. It's not what you learn. It's learning how to learn. And I think that's kind of true with high-level football. If you take football at its highest level, like, you know, graduate-level, quantum physics-level football, NFL, which I'm, which I'm used to, a lot of it is learning how to learn. A lot of it is learning how to adjust your mindset and, 
um, changing your learning habits and be able to take on more volume and have a greater learning capacity. So a lot of it's been that. A lot of it's been strength and conditioning. Uh, there's already a toughness here. There's already a uh, standard of excellence and effort here. We haven't had to drill that in real hard. Um, but our kids are learning a lot of football, and they're, they're, you know, it's still up and down, but you see the flashes. You see how good we could be. I would say right now we're a high-ceiling, low-floor team. You know, our bad's pretty bad, but our good's really good. So um, great teams are built on consistency. So that's our number one thing we have to address is, is how to become consistent, but usually consistency comes with comprehension. So the more they comprehend, the more they understand, the more they know the why, uh, the more they are given a, the freedom to make mistakes and learn from it, uh, the better opportunity they have to grow as players, and we're seeing that on a daily basis. Coach, how much fun is it for you to get out there and, and, and for your players to say, hey, Coach, you need to lose some weight, or, or we want to challenge you, you know, for you for them to challenge you and to hold you accountable, that's the same thing when you talk about that trust factor, Coach, for, for you to trust them and for them to trust you. How much fun is that at the collegiate level or just building relationships in general with the Blazer Nation? It's the best part. By far the best part. Um, you know, winning is obviously very important. You know, college football is a business. I get that. But it's still relationship-driven. It's still relationship first. It's still connection first. And I love, love connecting with the players. And those of you who don't know my story, I lost a son when he was five and a half. Yes, sir. Uh, and I have three daughters. Um, so, I, you know, I've, I've gone back into coaching because of that. I have a chance to parent boys. You know, I, I missed out on that opportunity in the teen years, the college years. And, and I really treat them all as if they're my sons. Now, that doesn't mean it's kumbaya and everything's, you know, rainbows and rose petals. Um, but there is a real connection there. There's an honesty there. Um, I'm very vulnerable with them. Um, I don't get into the, you know, like I told them, they shouldn't trust me because the title by my name. They should trust me because of how I treat them and how I make them feel and what I teach them uh, and what I do in adverse situations, what I do in good situations. And I've been actively working on earning their trust. And um, part of that's been letting them call me out on stuff. I mean, there's been a couple meetings where I've chimed in and said something and I've stopped myself and just said, wait a second, that was stupid. That shouldn't come out of my mouth. You know, that was the wrong thing to say, and I apologize. Like, I gave you bad information there, and I caught myself. And I kind of look around like, that's the head coach of me, and he was wrong. I'm like, yeah, we need to be able to admit when we're wrong on something and, and have some humility to sing and be willing to grow. And uh, we've talked a lot about growing together. You know, I'm growing as a coach. Uh, we're growing as a staff, and they're growing as a team. So I think that daily communication, the connection, the late-night text, the checking in on how their academics are doing, making sure we care about how their girlfriends, their kids. I have nine, and I have nine parents on my team. Uh, so I've talked to them. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. want to thank Coach Trent Dilfer for being generous with his time talking about UAB football as his first year taking over as the head coach and several local products on the roster and some transfer portals are in there. You have A.D. Diamond from Blunt High School coming over from Auburn. Desmond Little coming from LSU. Of course, Carl Frantroy Jr. had to sit out this year with a leg injury from Spanish Fort. Look forward to seeing what he has to offer. Flip Rudolph, we remember him from Cottage Hill. And, of course, Jermaine Skull Brown has been toting the tater 
for the Blazers. So, again, a very heavy Mobile Baldwin County roster, along with coaching staff as well there at UAB. And, of course, March Madness returns this evening. And the Sweet 16 is in full effect. K-State versus Michigan State at 5.30 on TBS. And then at 6.15, UConn takes on Arkansas at 8 o'clock, Tennessee versus FAU. And UCLA takes on Gonzaga at 8.45. So when you have an opportunity to talk about March Madness in your brackets, Will they be busted after the Sweet 16? We'll find out. Mike, I know that your bracket isn't totally busted. Mine no, either. No, it's not so bad. I, I I will go ahead and send it in the app, by the way, if you want to uh, check out my Thursday tonight four-game Sweet 16 preview and predictions. You want to get a little deep dive and, and see if uh, I can go 0-4, oh 1-3, and and maybe 2-2. Two and two. We'll see what happens, but really looking forward to that Gonzaga UCLA game but uh you know we got Tom Stipe coming out so we'll get more we'll, we'll dive into all these games later but you know I will send the preview link into the app now well that's again I I know tonight when you start looking at the matchups there's one that really sticks out that late one 845 UCLA and Gonzaga able to have a lot of people up till 10 30 or 11 o'clock depending on how early the game if it starts on time but when you look at that matchup again, a couple of years ago, you had that buzzer beater by the Zags. So I just think that that matchup, a lot of fans are not going to forget about. And of course, we're, we're rooting for Barry Dunning Jr. at Arkansas and see if they can take out the Huskies and represent the SEC as well. And Izzo, we'll see if he can work his March Madness as well. When we come back, We'll talk to the legendary Tom Stipe from the Crimson Tide Sports Network. He's posted up in Louisville waiting for the Sweet 16 matchup for the Crimson Tide. And he's been producing Alabama football and basketball for over 30 years. And we'll get his insights into the Crimson Tide coming up next here on the final drive on WNSP with Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner. Hi, this is Mark Malone, former NFL quarterback. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner here on this Thursday edition of the final drive. And of course, we mentioned March Madness returns tonight. You have four games tonight and of course, four tomorrow. And one of those that will be highlighted tomorrow right here on WNSP 105.5 will be the Alabama Crimson Tide taking on San Diego State University. And it's a pleasure and a privilege to be joined by the producer and engineer for Crimson Tide Sports Network, Tom Stipe. Tom, good afternoon, and welcome to the final drive. Good afternoon to all of our friends in Mobile. Happy to be here, man. How are you doing? Man, I'm absolutely too blessed to be stressed, and if I was any better, I would be Tom Stipe sitting courtside <laughs> earlier today watching the Alabama Crimson Tide prepare for San Diego State, and it's going to be a great matchup. Sweet 16 has arrived for the Alabama Crimson Tide against a tough and physical San Diego State team. Yeah, 
Yeah, San Diego State reminds me of uh, Texas A&M and Tennessee. I mean, they guard the crap out of you, and they just uh, are relentless with that. You know, Bama's, Bama's deep. Bama can play a lot of different ways, but uh, just a quick little look at San Diego State. Uh, that's the way they play. They're really, really good. You know, they might not be a basketball blue blood, but um, I heard somebody uh, in a press conference earlier today to call it a David and Goliath matchup. And the quick research that I did showed that uh, uh, David had a bigger enrollment than Goliath does. <laughs> so just, uh, just saying. But uh, what a cool thing. It's Sweet 16. It's, uh, it's basketball. And if you believe in karma, I got two for you. I tweeted about them earlier. Picked up my rental car at the airport yesterday. It was a white SUV with crimson leather seats. And on the uh, steering wheel was a little sticky note that said, Go Bama. So they knew I was coming. And uh, as the team ran out on the floor today at the, uh, at the um, uh, shoot-around practice uh, at the Yum Center, uh, the, somebody in the PA uh, audio room decided to play uh, Sweet Home Alabama. So there you go. You got a good welcome here. Tom, I, I know it's one game at a time. Of course it is. It has to be. And, and Alabama's never been. I mean, they've been to an Elite Eight one time. They've been to the Sweet 16 ten times. And... and you know, it, it's hard as a fan not not to look ahead and, and you know start to salivate and and just imagine the possibilities. But I mean, I I have to imagine as if you're Nate Oates, it's it's even harder. I mean, how how is he keeping the team focused on you know? There's a really good basketball team in San Diego State that you got to handle on Friday before you can start thinking about anything else. Well, they do they do this all the time and. Um, if they're like me, they're afraid to jinx us. I, I, I really don't want to think beyond tomorrow night. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm slaying a personal Bama dragon here. Uh, it was 1987 when Wimp had one of his best teams. Started with two wins in Birmingham, and we end up in Louisville. Different building, mind you. But uh, that's where we ran into Rick Pitino and Billy Donovan and... Uh, that team went down in the Sweet 16. So I refuse to even acknowledge that there is life on this planet <laughs> after tomorrow night. Understood. Not do it. <laughs> Understood. Understood about certain superstitions. And, you know, it is it survive first, then advance. That's what you have to do That's first. Right. You have survive yep. comes before advance. And, you know, with the Crimson Tide playing the way that they played all season long, especially talk about how sweet it was, though, to really see Alabama being playing at Legacy Arena for the first two games again, along with Auburn, who, whether their fans were rooting against or for Alabama, still to have the state of Alabama, the flagship schools, Alabama and Auburn, both playing at Legacy Arena, how special that was. Well, you know me pretty well, and uh, you know that I'm a basketball guy. I mean, I love my football. Don't, right. don't, don't make no mistake, I'm an Alabamian, and that's what we do, but I love basketball. And it was a great day for basketball in the state of Alabama. The NCAA correctly put uh, Alabama as the top seed overall. Uh, had uh, had Bama playing close to home. That's what the NCAA pod um, system is designed to do. But 
when the computers ended up spitting out uh, names, they ended up with an 8-9 matchup involving Auburn on that same floor. And just happenstance or, or dumb luck, uh, Bama, Bama people, Auburn people, got to come together on the same floor uh, with uh, business to handle. And um, it, was, it, was, it was really cool because uh, I root for basketball generally in the state of Alabama. And uh, that was uh, that was a great moment. It really was. Well, several great moments have occurred this entire season. And I asked Brian passing this about is Brandon Miller the greatest Alabama basketball player that he's seen put on the crimson and white? And he paused just for one second and said yes. And that is a one and done type of talent that Alabama fans would love to see every single year come to the university but I again you going back and seeing Wimp's teams and seeing Coach Godfrey's teams and now Nate Oates team is Brandon Miller the best player that you've seen for as far as from a freshman standpoint and maybe even from a freshman through a senior standpoint because of course guys used to stick around for three and four years before the one and done format is he the best well you know the reason Tassik hesitated just a second because he really wanted to say he was <laughs> but um, we all understand that that's not true i was asked the other day for my all-time starting five yes so just to, just to just to narrow it down to five guys was really difficult with all of the great players but i had a rule and my rule was uh i'm not going to compare you know talk about this guy and this guy from that era playing in this era so you start with this premise to me. Bama has had two, count them, two first-team All-Americans. Leon Douglas, a transformative player back in the C.M. Newton era, and Brandon Miller. Sure. So if you look at it that way, uh, and I've seen them all, as you well know. Absolutely. Um, Yes, is the answer to the question. And I'll tell you why. And, and some of this is the way basketball is played um, today. But when you got a guy that's 6'9", that handles it like a point guard, heck, he's, he's effectively is our point guard a lot of times, but he handles it, he shoots it, he plays great defense, he can pass. I mean, the guy is ridiculously talented. And, you know, this, this, the, the sky is the ceiling for this kid. You can't look at it in terms of, well, if he was here three years and how many points would he score? And could he play against Wendell Hudson? And, yeah, he could. And he, and he would account himself very well. I'm one to believe that in spite of the fact that, uh, you know, the big guys of uh, – of basketball have kind of become a little bit extinct. I think Leon and Mule could play just fine right now. Talent is talent. Uh, you'll never convince me that Barkley couldn't get a rebound or two today. But, um, yes, to answer your question, I think uh, if you say most talented player to ever play in Alabama, yes. You know, productivity is going to depend on how long he plays. Obviously, he's a one-and-done type. But uh, without question, the guys are – unbelievably special and if you're um, you're sitting around waiting to come see him play you better get on i-65 right now if you're in mobile get up here uh tickets are around it isn't that far a drive 
and uh, man, I'd love to see uh, the Yum Center rocking. Uh, with some Corey LeBounty fans tomorrow night. No question about it. We're speaking with Tom Stipe, who is the producer and engineer for the Crimson Tide Sports Network. And you mentioned your your top five all time. Uh, of course, Leon Douglas, you mentioned his accolades speak for themselves. And Brandon Miller, I think this season his accolades speak for themselves. What three? I'm interested. What three other guys really? If if you if you had to fill out, could, did you fill it out from a five standpoint? Because those two that you mentioned, I just think that they they do stand alone. And if there are another three, do you, did you name them or do you have another I three? I did. I did, and I and I went old school. I had two guards. I had you know a post guard. I had two inside guys. But uh, uh, I had uh, my backcourt was Enos Watley. Okay. And Hollywood Robinson. I like Hollywood. Dennis Watley was a magician with the basketball. Uh, he played in the league numerous years. Uh, the first no-look pass I ever saw was thrown by number three, Enos Watley. And um, really a new, school, a, a new school guy in an old school time. And um, Hollywood could score it any time he wanted to from anywhere he wanted to. Um, still lucky enough to see him occasionally because he comes around some. I've seen Enos, uh, but uh, those two guys in the backcourt, I think Reginald King uh, has to be on any any uh, five uh, that is an all-time five for Alabama. There's a reason he was in the league as long as he was, too. Uh, he was kind of a Charles Barkley-type guy before Charles took up a lot of space, not really – not really overly tall, you know. He's a six-six, six-seven guy. Although back in those days, they had, you know, the hair made up for it. <laughs> right. But, uh, man, he was a post guy that could just clear out space, score, get his shot. I mean, the guy was was crazy good. And then Leon, of course, uh, who was really the transformative player of the modern era. He and Wendell Hudson, and. Um, that's my five. Uh, who am I leaving out? I'm leaving out everybody. I'm leaving out Robert Ory. I'm right. leaving out Antonio McDice, T.R. Dunn, Wendell Hudson, uh, and, and a bunch of other ones. But um, you got to go with five. That's, that's my five. I'll, I'll run with them. Hey, that's that's a great five. Nothing wrong with that. I, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to work. Next time I talk to you, I'm going to work and give you my all-time five for Alabama. I, I think two of them, I can't argue, and it's undebatable there, two of them that you named with the accolades that Leon Douglas and, and Brandon Miller have. But I'll tell you, for a moment, we'll switch gears because a lot of people missed Alabama's pro day because they're covering Alabama basketball in Louisville. And Bryce Young today threw the football, and I think that Nick Saban said it best. If you're worried about height, you're looking at the wrong thing because Bryce Young is a winner. If you want your 6'4", 6'5", quarterback to be your franchise, okay, you know, Stroud is your guy. But as far as the intangibles, Bryce Young can bring to the Carolina Panthers, Nick Saban, the GOAT, spoke on that today. Bryce Young is going to be a franchise quarterback. I don't care how tall he is. And he brings not only a world of ability, we've all seen that. What we've also seen is what kind of kid he is. And um, my goodness, I wish I was a zillionaire and owned some business that I could just throw money at him and make him a part of what I do. Because he is that good. He's that good a kid. And, um, yeah, 
I can't speak to Stroud. Uh, I've seen a lot of six four NFL quarterbacks that weren't any good, but he's pretty good. But uh, man, Bryce Young, uh, I got the truth right in front of my face uh, every Saturday for a couple of falls, and and I'm going with what I see. Well, I, I'm not going to argue with you on that one at all, and I'm not going to argue with the fact that you're the best in the business when it comes to your passion for the Alabama Crimson Tide in regards to what you've seen, what you've witnessed for yourself, as, and also the tremendous job that you and your crew do in producing the Crimson Tide Sports Network, and I've really enjoyed the stream all season long for the home games, both at Bryant-Denny and at Coleman Coliseum that you guys have set up because that's how I mute my television. I turn you guys up. Of course, you can find Alabama right here on WNSP. And as a matter of fact, tomorrow you guys will take over for us at 4.30, and we look forward to all your coverage, and thank you for everything that you do for Alabama's Crimson Tide Nation. I appreciate that. I appreciate your uh, your your station and, and your friendship, Corey. And remind your listeners now, uh, NCAA tournament's different. We don't have a Facebook stream going. They won't let us do that. You have to listen on our network affiliate, which is WNSP. Uh, the only streaming that's allowed is uh, this thing called the Varsity app. I'm, I'm, I hear it's good. Um, usually I'm not listening to it because I'm producing it. So, uh, <laughs> uh, But... Uh, we want everybody that uh, can listen to listen, and we want the rest of you to get in the car and come up here. We, I'd love to see this arena turn into a... Uh Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And the first hour has been a blazing here on the final drive as we opened up the show with Trent Dilfer, the head football coach at UAB, and then we followed that up with Tom Stipe, the engineer producer for the Crimson Tide Sports Network, and of course, March Madness returns tomorrow, the Alabama basketball pregame with the Crimson Tide Sports Network starts at 4.30, and March Madness returns tonight. And just the matchups that are going to be intriguing and fun to watch. I, I think the UCLA, we talked about the UCLA Gonzaga game is going to be my favorite one to watch at 845. But you think that uh, that Jalen Clark UCLA injury finally catches up to him tonight? I mean, they've been, I, I they've do. been all right. But, but it, it's it's weird because UCLA and Tennessee both yeah. with, with two of the best players on that roster yeah. each have been injured, and we talked about that going in. Well, it's, I mean, it's just it's two very different things. It's Ziegler for Tennessee is kind of the straw that stirs the drink on offense. He's their primary ball handler, and Rick Barnes figured it out, whereas Clark for UCLA, he's their defensive anchor. And it seems like, you know, they they both, thus far, at least figured it out. So, And, and that's the impressive thing. I didn't think they would be able to yeah. figure it out. I no mean, No one had Tennessee beating. I, I know I didn't, and I, I just think that that 845 matchup is going to be fun to watch and we'll see if March Madness continues to impress because we've seen more upsets in this tournament than ever before and I just felt that in 2023 that it wasn't going to be that way I thought that Cinderella was not even going to be invited to the dance and here it is again you're looking at some nine seeds trying to advance and last night UAB was able to yeah. advance and that's huge for the state 
UAB's 28-9, the most wins in school history. And normally the NIT goes to New York and Madison Square Garden, but this year not the case because the NCAA tournament is in New York. And because of that, they will be going to Vegas instead. But UAB has three wins this season over SEC schools. And you look at UAB, some of their losses and their loss that they did have, it was the FAU in the conference championship. So UAB wanted an at-large bid, and they're playing with the chip on their shoulder, very similar to what Texas A&M did a year ago, losing in the NIT championship. Yeah, and they, I mean, they weren't going to get an at-large bid. I, I mean, you can you can hope and pray for one. They, 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 they weren't going to get one. It is what it is. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard to get an at-large bid in a, in a mid-major conference, but that's, that's a heck of a squad in UAB. I mean, they were in the tournament last year. Jelly Walker's a legitimate superstar. Uh, UAB is a lot of fun, and that's a great win to go to Nashville and take down Vanderbilt. I believe that they've beaten another team from the SEC earlier. Two other but, teams. Yeah. They're 3-0 versus yeah. the SEC. See, and I, that's huge. You you beat Georgia as well. Yeah. So that that Andy Kennedy has been getting it done, and over the last two years, they have over fifty five wins. Of course, they make the NCAA tournament last year, but the Blazers face Utah Valley in Las Vegas next Tuesday, March twenty eighth, and that's a matchup for a lot of Blazers fans having an opportunity to go out to Vegas and enjoy it. I mean, Blazers abound today. Andy Kennedy with his win and Trent Dilfer getting ready for their spring game. So a lot of things going great for UAB. But you're right, Jelly Walker, one of the prolific scorers in the country, top four in the country, is really fun to watch. And I love to watch Andy Kennedy's squads play. Of course, Andy Kennedy, a former assistant coach here at South Alabama and at Ole Miss, and AK could shoot it. Fun to watch. We'll see if his Blazers can win in the semifinals of the NIT next week. You're listening to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 with Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Brunner. Do your job and play together. The final drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome back to the final drive here with Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner on this March Madness Thursday. And want to welcome in to the final drive, Lindsey Crosby. And he does a wonderful job covering all baseball. And it doesn't necessarily have to be Auburn baseball. He's just a baseball fanatic. And as we're getting ready to start baseball season, Lindsay, I, I was looking at 
the top 25 baseball polls. And what's amazing to me, 10 out of the 25 ranked teams all come from the SEC. And that just speaks volumes of how strong this conference is from a baseball standpoint. Yeah, it's something where this is the best uh, area for amateur baseball in the country, right? Like you can, these teams can play tons of home games in the spring, unlike our friends up north. Arkansas hasn't played an away game yet this year. And so, like, it just means more in the SEC. It means more in football, it means more in basketball, and it means more in baseball. And then, so what that means is your team's on the fringes, like in Auburn, you can go and get swept over a weekend at Arkansas, and it's, well, yeah, you got swept by Arkansas, but Arkansas is also a top-five team in the entire country. It's just a gauntlet in the SEC every single year, and this year is no exception. Well, let's talk about the Auburn Tigers for a moment and how they've started off their season. They're 14-6-1, and and they came away with a big win over South Alabama earlier in the week, 6-5, to before they're starting this three-game homestand against the Georgia Bulldogs. How bad did Auburn need that win over South Alabama? Auburn had to get back in the win column. It was something, so that three-game loss against Arkansas, that's the first time that Auburn has lost three consecutive games since April 2021. They were one of five teams last year that, like in all of college baseball, that didn't lose three consecutive games. And Darren Schoenrock, the pitching coach, told us before the season, these pitchers have to learn how to get hit. Like, they have to learn how to execute pitches in the SEC. And you see it's been trial by fire uh, for Auburn, especially while you're out some key pieces from your pitching staff, namely Joseph Gonzalez. So get you get the big lead early. You face some adversity late against South Alabama with them coming back and bringing it within a run thanks, thanks to the long ball. But being able to preserve the win has you feeling good as you go into this early series starting tonight at home. Lindsay, uh, Alabama is, is now 18 and four. They lost back-to-back series to uh, Columbia and, uh, as well as as well as Florida. Uh, I, I guess, kind of just a general question with college baseball. I, I mean, do you not take a whole lot of? Obviously, these the the non-conference schedule is important, and you know these mid-season uh, or mid-week series, mid-week single games matter uh but do you not take a lot of stock in into effect when when a team starts you know 15 and 0 or whatever the case may be a lot of that stuff in non-conference it's so it like it's so dependent on your pitching and how good your pitchers are and ready to start the season and so if you win every game if you drop a series here or there it's not the biggest thing in the world like you look at the Alabama team get swept by texas right you drop the, you know, you you lose games here and there, but you also play really good teams for the most part. You have an RPI in the top 50, so that means you're playing good teams. The teams you're playing are playing good teams. I'm not as worried about a, you know a lost series here, or if you go undefeated, like like I said, Arkansas hasn't played a single game away from Fayetteville yet. So it it's dependent on who you're playing. It's dependent on where you're playing them, like. Arkansas's RPI right now is top three in the country. So we have to pay attention to how good they are. Alabama's RPI is still top 50. We have to pay attention to how good they are. It's, you can't win every game. And that's the hardest part for a lot of people who aren't necessarily super big baseball people. They think about it in the football terms. You're going to have wins and losses in non-conference. 
but it's really all about are your pitchers prepared as you get into SEC play. That's the real reason you have these non-conference matchups is to get your pitching ready. No question about that you have to stay healthy. And it's early in regards to your SEC schedule. And I think it's very similar in baseball to what you see in basketball and football in the SEC to where these teams beat up on one another within the conference. Just ask the Tennessee Volunteers who were ranked number two in the country. And then all of a sudden they go to Missouri and get swept at Missouri, which goes to show that within the conference, that's why 10 out of the top 25 teams are in the SEC. Yeah, I mean, Missouri is a team, they were picked to be one of the last teams in the East. They have a top 20 RPI right now. They look a lot better. Kentucky looks a lot better than we thought. For, for a conference that's always pretty deep, and the SEC is always pretty deep, this year it just seems to be exceptionally deep. And it kind of feels like this is the last year where you have some of those COVID guys on campus who it's a sixth-year senior. He's just, he just knows what he's doing on the, on the diamond. Uh, that's what the SEC is this year. Every team has one or two guys that's like 25 years old, still playing college baseball, and is carrying this team. Missouri's got it. Auburn's got Case and Howell. Everybody has someone, and it just means it's a gauntlet. But it all comes back to do you do well enough at home and do you not get swept on the road where your RPI is high enough to host a regional at the end of the year and I think out of this conference you're probably going to see seven or eight hosts like hosting spots for regionals just based on the strength of the SEC this year well not only the strength of the SEC we go from that to the strength of major league baseball rosters as we're getting ready to get started here in Major League Baseball. The Braves, how do we mm -hmm. think the Atlanta Braves will fare here? I'll give you an opportunity to give your preseason prediction. Will they be able to stay healthy, win their division, or will they go ahead and start slow and then finish hot like they've done in the past? So we've already seen a little bit of injuries with the Braves. Rizal Iglesias, the closer, is going to start the year on the injured list with some uh, light shoulder irritation, whatever that means. But the Braves this year, in spring, they've looked very good. A lot of pieces have come out hot. Matt Olson, the, the first baseman, felt like he was a little bit slow to get started last year, never had the power production you expected. He leads MLB in home runs right now. He has, I think, his eighth home run today. Uh, Marcelo Zuna, the DH, looks good. Ron Lacuna Jr. looks like he's back to form. And Eddie Rosario performed really well at the World Baseball Classic. So my prediction is that the Braves come out hot. They take the division lead. And pretty much wire to wire, they're going to have it all year. I do think they're going to win the division again. Everybody who's trying to give it to the Mets kind of forgets that that's the Mets. And then the, the, the Phillies have a little bit of injury concerns. Looks like they lost first baseman Reese Hoskins for the year just this afternoon to a knee injury. So I've got the Braves going wire to wire, winning the division again. Uh, I do like their odds as you get into the postseason behind this rotation, provided everybody's healthy, for them to take a deep run through October. Our last question for you, Lindsay, is in the World Baseball Classic, is it good for baseball as a whole when you have Japan or other countries beating the United States and really in epic fashion when you have two of the best major leaguers that are teammates battling one another at the plate and on the mound? 
in this classic that just finished up? I think the World Baseball Classic was fantastic for the sport of baseball. Uh, the Team USA-Japan final outdrew every game of the World Series last year. Like It, it averaged 4.5 million viewers. It peaked at 6.5 million views. And that's just in the U.S. When you look in other countries, they're getting, I think, something like half of all televisions in the country of Japan were watching the World Baseball Classic. The actual event itself is, has done such a great job to open up people to the sport of baseball and then to bring in more international awareness and attention to the league, the top league in the world where a lot of these players are going to go play. So I think the World Baseball Classic is a great thing. I would be in favor of taking two weeks during the season and then moving the World Baseball Classic to something in season where you can get more pitcher participation, guys are more stretched out, there's less restrictions because Team USA ultimately didn't do it because they didn't have the top starting pitchers who weren't quite ready to go this early in spring. But I think the World Baseball Classic is fantastic. And that final at-bat between Shohei Otani and Mike Trout was amazing. Well, I, I tell you, baseball season is here, and we're geared up and ready. And not only baseball, of course, you have softball striking it up as well. But now all the attention, once March Madness ends, it really does turn to baseball and that getting started. And I know you're a huge baseball fan. How can people follow all your coverage of not only the Auburn Daily, but of all your other Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball coverage? Thank you for the setup there, Corey. I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. My Auburn baseball writing, auburndaily.com. I'm also the editor-in-chief of bravestoday.com, writing on behalf of Sports Illustrated, covering the Atlanta Braves. And then my podcast, talking about minor league baseball, Locked at MLB Prospects, is available wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Lindsey Crosby joining us this afternoon on the final drive. Thank you so much for your time, and we'll talk to you again next week. Of course. Thanks for talking. Michael, I tell you, an exciting baseball classic series that was had a couple of days ago. It, just seeing the opportunity for baseball to be played and, and knowing what Lindsay said with better ratings than the World Series, I, that that really shocked me. I hadn't heard that one, but that's great 411 right there by Lindsey Crosby. You're listening to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 with Corey Labonte and Michael Brauner. Hi, I'm Vern Lundquist from CBS Sports. You're listening to WNSP Mobile, Alabama. Welcome back to the final drive. Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055. Also getting back at you in the app as well. And of course, today was Alabama's Pro Day and the Carolina Panthers had an opportunity to measure up C.J. Stroud. And I think that C.J. Stroud, again, 6'4", 6'5", you look at him being the prototypical NFL quarterback. But today, Bryce Young had a great day. And Nick Saban chimed in as to why he doesn't feel that height is against Bryce Young making it big time in the NFL. 
Coach, a lot has been made about the height of your quarterback. You've coached a lot of football. You've watched a lot of tape. Does that matter? I don't think so. I think you should ask the people that had to play against him the last couple of years and see if they think it affected his performance. So uh, I really don't. I think he's so instinctive. He processes so well. He prepares so well. Uh, he's got quickness in the pocket. He plays the position like a point guard in basketball. So, uh, And his production and consistency and performance have been off the charts. So uh, most of the time, those things will translate to the next level. Give me a little insight. The, the last month and maybe the next month, is your phone ringing off the hook? I mean, our scouts, our GMs, our coaches are reaching out constantly. Is that something that happens to ask about all these guys? I, I think people, the closer you get to the draft, the more and more they do it. I met with three or four coaches today. Um, and I, I think people don't ask you about players that they don't feel are going to fall to them. Mm -hmm. So the people that are up there in the draft have all talked to us about it. Bryce Young listed five foot ten and one eighth inches and weighing two hundred and four pounds at Indianapolis's combine. And that's one of the things he was waiting to throw at today's pro day versus throwing at the combine. And I think that really benefited him. But one person who really, really was ecstatic about what he saw in person was another smaller wide receiver for the Carolina Panthers, Steve Smith. Steve Smith only listed at five foot nine as a wide receiver in the NFL with over 14,000 yards receiving all time. So I don't know if he's one for the little guy per se, but Nick Saban made it known, Michael, that Drew Brees is probably one of the biggest mistakes that he made in his tenure as head coach of the Miami Dolphins and going with Dante Culpepper over Drew Brees, who's one of those smaller quarterbacks. But like Coach Saban again said that Bryce has already played against a lot of the guys who are already in the National Football League. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's played against some really good competition. I mean, Saban, Saban said it there. I mean, I just ask ask the guys who have played against him for now for now two years, uh, if that height matters. And so and again, obviously, college and pro, it's a different ball game. But I mean, the the guy, uh, and I I we've had this debate on this show before. But I mean, for your money, is is Bryce Young the best quarterback to ever play for Alabama? Because I personally, I don't think it's close. I think Bryce is a lot better than Mac Jones. I think Bryce is a heck of a lot better than Tua. I think he's better than Jalen. I, I I just don't think it's very close. I, I think he is so much more talented than every other quarterback to ever step foot on that campus, and I think it starts with the fact that he had was asked to do more with less. Uh, I don't I know about that, Michael. I, I, will, I will stop you right there. Doing more with less. I'm not quite sure about that because the wide receivers that Bryce Young was throwing to when he won the Heisman – was pretty daggum good. It now, wasn't what Tua had? I, I will say this. I will say that, to me, yes, Bryce Young is the best quarterback to to put on crimson and white. Now, I think that, to me, I really like Tua at two and A.J. at three. 
I think that when you start looking at Alabama all-time quarterbacks, of course, errors change, time changes, and as Tom Stipe said, it's really hard when you start trying to compare errors because the game has changed and evolved from when our own Scott Hunter played because three yards in a cloud of dust is all some college football teams ever knew and never had an opportunity to show off their their ability until they got into the National Football League. But Bryce is dynamic, and I think that, yes, Tua had a lot of weapons as well. But Tua had the best receiving core in the history of college football, the best receiver room in the, it, like, in the history of college football. And, you know, I, I don't – I didn't, ma- I didn't mean for this segment to turn into a dump on Tua segment, but I don't think Bryce Young I don't think Bryce Young loses the game to LSU and I know Tua was banged up, but that's part of part of why uh part of why I put Bryce Young over Tua. I don't I think Bryce Young probably loses the national championship to Clemson, but it ain't by twenty eight points. He puts up more than sixteen points with those receivers. I mean, you, you got you got shredded for 44 points by Trevor Lawrence. You know, there's not really much. Uh, you know, Tom Brady could have been the quarterback of that Alabama team, and they probably get beat that day. But it wouldn't have been an embarrassing beatdown. I mean, it, it was. Two is never re- never really at Alabama, and I and this is gonna sound crazy, but entertain me for a second. Two had never started and finished and won a big game. I understand second and 26, obviously came off the bench there. SEC championship, Hurts kind of bailed him out. Uh, national championship, obviously what happened in the national championship was the national championship, 44-16. to 16. I mean, where's the game? that? Where's the big game that Tua started and, and won? It, it's not there. Well, I think – and you can't. It, I'm not taking away second and twenty six. You can't. I'm, I'm, I, I'm I'm not. That is the game I, I, because not. without that, you don't have a national championship. Yes, you're period. Right. You're right. You, you don't have one. I'm not saying. And of course, like, Jalen needed to be pulled that day. Tua was better than Jalen at the time. And I don't. I'm not someone who says like, oh, they never should have benched Jalen. Of course they should have. They would have lost the national championship. Jalen was awful that night. Jaylen, Tua was probably better than Jalen at the time. Uh, like yeah, even even the I think Jalen probably got a lot better that off season, but even entering that first opener against Louisville, like if you're Nick Saban and you know remember how hesitant he was to say something bad about the other, or he because I mean they were both such great guys and both great quarterbacks. Jalen definitely got a lot better that off season, but how could you not start Tua after that? I mean, it was, I mean he was he was the thing, but I, I mean Jalen's certainly better than him now, and it's not even close now. Because he's staying healthy, and and that's the biggest thing as far as now. And Jalen, to his credit, it's just pure determination. Now, I think he and Tua, again, I'll say it over and over again, iron sharpens iron. And in regards to having some of the best receivers ever, Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry at LSU, that was not too shabby of a wide receiver combination either. Yeah, I mean, I I wasn't, you know, making that a – you know, Jerry, Jerry Judy, Henry Rugg, Devontae Smith, and Jalen Waddle in one room is is uh, so, I, I mean the depth offensively is is been crazy the last five years at Alabama. That's why, like, and to to complain about Jameson Williams and John Mechie is ridiculous. That's not what I'm doing. It's just like compare it to what they had and what they had this season was not even close. I would bright and what. I mean, I think any of those three quarterbacks that we talk about as, you know, the best of all time in terms of an Alabama uniform, and I don't even honestly, I mean, I love A.J., but 
I, I, I don't think talent-wise, he's on the same level as, right. as, as let Bryce me ask you this, Tua, Matt. Let me ask you this. Before Bryce Young puts on the crimson and white, yeah. was two of the best quarterback that you saw or that you've known about in Alabama football? Yeah, I'd say so. Okay. Yeah. So, again, it's just it's well, a it's a one-two for you? You could make the argument that Mac. I mean, I, I he only started one year, but that's Mac certainly led the best offense. He didn't have to do a whole lot, though, it, admittedly. But in the regular seasons, to, uh, how much did Tua really have to? I mean, they were. Uh, you're talking about the days of joyless murder ball. They were they were blowing teams out. It's just Tua. Tua, you know, just gives up his body, and, and that's exactly again that awkward hit to where he he took it and he was injured and and really ended his collegiate career. I think that that's one yeah. of those situations that, again, Tua, you know, get down, slide, you're just hungry, and that's all he knows. That's that warrior mentality that Tua has that make or break him in the NFL. He's just – that's going to – what's going to make or break Tua in the NFL. That's what makes Tua. That's in his DNA. He doesn't know how to slide or, or how not to take a hit, and that's what makes Tua Tua, and I think that – Tua, prior to Bryce arriving on campus and trying to rewrite the history books, Bryce had an opportunity to sit and learn behind Mac, and I think that was imperative, too, for Bryce's development to sit and learn and wait his turn the same way I'm with that. And, Tua and, did with Jalen and, and the say, same way Jalen did with Tua. And I'll say this, I mean, which was a cold take in hindsight. I wanted Bryce Young to, to start right away in 2020, and obviously Mac did what Mac did. And I mean, heck, uh, pretty much there are a lot of guys that could have played quarterback for that 2020 team. As good as Mac was, you know, it, it's not like he was putting all these throws in tight window. I mean, the guys, guys were open and he had elite blocking, way more so than Bryce Young had. My point being, my initial point, if you took Mac, Tua, Jalen, AJ, any of those guys, uh, put up any any Alabama quarterback to ever step on campus and put them in Bryce Young's situation this past season, Alabama – loses more than two games 100 percent 100 percent they lose the texas game absolutely they lose the texas game they get blown out in the tennessee game blown out wouldn't have been close uh and, and i mean milrow almost lost the texas a&m game i think i think that probably i mean that's a win uh regardless but man i mean that team was in danger of losing more than two games this year and they only they, they were lucky to lose two games and it's because of bryce young Bryce Young flat out is a winner, and I think he is a franchise quarterback. And, you know, when you look at Frank Reich, who is the head coach of the Carolina Panthers, having that overall number one pick, and I, I just, I'm not sure if he's willing to pull the trigger on Bryce Young. I just think that all indications in every mock draft that you see you you nine out of ten of them does not have Bryce Young going first to the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, I, and I think when all is said and done, I I I really flip back and forth on this every day. I I do think there's a good chance that Bryce will be first overall, but I mean Stroud's really good. He he, he is. I I don't really care about the the. Juju around Ohio State quarterbacks. I mean, CJ Stroud is a really good football player, and he has. I mean, it's not deniable. He has more of an ideal NFL body than Bryce Young. 
I, whether how much that means to these scouts and coaches, I don't know. I'm not in the room, but I mean, for my money, it's on the tape with Bryce Young. I mean, look at the the Kansas State Sugar Bowl is a is a really the best example. I mean that 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 pass into the corner of the end zone, Jacory Brooks. Oh my! I mean, just, he's a magician out there. I he's he's just so special. I just. I, I feel very lucky to have watched Bryce Young as Alabama's quarterback for two I, years. I think we all are lucky in regards to watching him, whether you're an Alabama fan or not, yeah. just watching his playmaker ability. But if the Carolina Panthers do not take him with the number one pick, do you have back-to-back quarterbacks being selected with the Houston Texans selecting number two? Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, well, if, if C.J. Stroud goes number one, well, I think – I think even if Bryce goes number one, yeah, the, the Texans are taking a quarterback. And honestly, the Texans probably have a guy they prefer, but they're probably sitting there thinking, ah, what, well, whichever happens, happens. Uh, I mean, the Texans have kind of, I think, been more linked this whole process to Bryce Young. And ironically, if they didn't win the last game of the season, they could have had their, their choice of the two. But no, I, I, I think the Texans are probably sitting there thinking, all right, the Panthers take C.J. Stroud, then we get Bryce Young, and that's fine. I mean, D'Amico Ryans is their head coach now. So I, I think that, yeah, the Texans are going to take a quarterback at two. I, I would be shocked if not, uh, unless they just love, love, love Bryce Young and, and he ends up going to Carolina and, the, and they think Stroud isn't worth it at two or vice versa, I guess, which I, I would highly doubt. Uh that maybe they trade back or something. I, I I don't know, but I would be very very surprised if Bryce Young doesn't come off the board at one if he's not off the board at two. Will Anderson Jr. Do you think the Cardinals yeah. decide to snatch him up at three? I think he's the first defensive player off the board. Yeah, I, I, and that picture was a little bit murkier before this whole Jalen Carter situation. I think it, you know you really. I mean, he's still fa- fantastic football player. Jalen Carter is uh, if. If his head's on straight, uh, obviously, after the legal proceedings, there was the issue at his pro day where he showed up. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP to where it's March Madness Thursday. K-State versus Michigan State get us tipped off here at 530 in UConn and Arkansas tip off right around 6:15, and the two late games Tennessee and FAU and UCLA and Gonzaga and again Bronner on Bronner's bracket Alabama Duke Texas UCLA on LeBounty's bracket Bama Marquette Houston and Gonzaga so we'll see if the Zags are able to survive tonight against UCLA but this week Nick Saban survived in regards to he and Nate Oates getting along with one another. No punches exchanged or a war of words was not meant to be in regards to bashing another's program. Nick Saban's comments earlier this week, wrong place, wrong time, were about his program only and Nick Saban at Alabama's Pro Day today had some comments about it. Do you want to clarify the uh, wrong place, wrong time comment uh, from the presser on Monday? That there, 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 there's nothing to clarify. You know, I don't watch basketball coaches' press conferences. I've never watched a basketball. How many years have I been coaching? You know, never watch one. Never listen to what other people say. 
you know, that was strictly about our program and what we do. Uh, had nothing to do with anybody else. I don't make any comments about anybody else. And uh, we hope the basketball team does really, really well. Nick Saban, never listen to what other people say. I'm not quite sure I believe that one. Now, I'll, I'll go with the fact that he doesn't watch other basketball coaches' press conferences. But Nick Saban, he's a, he's a basketball junkie in regards to him loving basketball. Now, saying that he never heard what Nate Oates had to say, I, I just personally don't believe that in regards to him not knowing the comments or the mishaps of another college coach on the same campus as him. But with that being said... I mean, surely he was aware of the comment, whether he watches it or not. I know he watches, according to Nick Saban, he watches the Weather Channel daily, and he watches his little Debbie boxes daily. I mean, this, but yeah, this was a big deal PR wise for the University of I mean the University of Alabama being under a national microscope Nick Saban being the face of the University of Alabama I mean come on you you were aware of the existence of the quote again I think we were both in agreement whether it had anything whether he meant anything by it or taking a shot at NATO I I don't think so uh, I think we both agreed on that but to say I wasn't aware of the. I've never. I don't watch. You know. I mean, this is. A, you just heard it. It's a quote. He tries never to play watched it off. one. Never listened oh, to what man. other people say. Oh, okay. He knows more than oh. he lets on. Uh, uh, oh, he and you know he does. But you knew he was going to be asked about it today at the pro day. The same way Brandon Miller today was going to be asked about what Nick Saban had to say when he visited the basketball program. We saw photographs of uh, Coach Saban at your practice yesterday. Wonder what his message was, and has he uh, cleared up the the question about the wrong place, wrong time? Um, it was a, a great experience in practice uh, for me, I can say, because you know I always grew up being an Alabama football fan. So, Coach Saban, Coach Saban has always been um, a great role a role model for me. So um, it was just great just seeing him um, arm arm length uh, away from me. Brandon Miller. Weighing in and saying, look, I, I think that Saban is his role model. You didn't give it an inch there. And, and Nate Oates had something to say about Coach Saban. Nate Oates said, quote, best coach for team sports in modern sports history, end quote. I, I, I can't argue with the fact that Nick Saban is the GOAT, but – I just think that Nick Saban just saying that he doesn't listen to what other people say, uh, a little vague there and hard to believe and then, from the goat. Well, it was funny because Oates said, oh, I didn't take it that way. Like, we talked that night. Everything was cleared up. It was fine. Uh, that's not how I took it. And then uh, well, it's just funny because, like, you know when Saban got off the podium. Because, again, like I said, I think we're in agreement that – Nick Saban wasn't intentionally throwing a shot, but he probably got off the podium, and I'm sure the SID came up to him and said, uh, Coach, like, are, are you aware of what you just said? And, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm sure once he filled him in, he, Coach was probably like, oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, he calls Oates to clear things up there. But, again, you know, there was no ill 
intended, uh, you know, intention behind that uh, statement. Well, at the same time, it's just great to see. I, I, if Alabama continues to succeed and win, I think that you'll see that same question asked again by the media to Nick Saban if he's sitting courtside as Alabama continues to make a push and hopefully make it to the Final Four. And, I mean, what what are your thoughts? We'd love to hear from you, 251-694-1055. And I, I think we have a caller here on the final drive. Good afternoon, caller. How are you doing? Hey, Corey. How you doing? Good afternoon. Hey, so, man, I, I think um, if, but if, if every coach took everything personal about what I've said of the news, these guys will be having a heart attack every two days. <laughs> I really don't think Nick Saban cares what they don't say. I really don't think they don't cares what Nick Saban says. I said they both ran successful programs. You know, they're both at the top of their game. Uh, so I, I really don't think that they take it personal if they do. I mean, can you imagine the blood pressure of those two guys that took everything personal? I just don't think they take it like that. So I think that's why you get a shrug of the shoulder. Hey, we're good to go. I don't care what each other says. We run our programs the way we run them. Period. I agree with you right there about college coaches having way too much other things to concern themselves about. It's just everything with this Nate Oates situation has been magnified because of the other extenuating circumstances. But you're exactly right that college coaches, I don't care what sport you're in, you probably, unless it's an internal jab and somebody shoots you a text message and say, hey, did you hear what Coach Harbaugh had to say about Coach Saban or, or the jabs that Auburn's coach may have made towards Alabama coach or vice versa, that's when there's a situation where you really start listening to what other people have to say, Bronner. And I, I think that that caller is exactly right. The yeah, coaches could probably point. care less. I mean, you know, you, some people unwind differently. Nick Saban watches the Weather Channel to unwind. Some college coaches watch Sports Center all day long to unwind. And that's what stays on their television. You can't help but to see the headlines. So it just to each his own. And Coach Saban's one and other coaches as well that, that don't concern themselves. It's just this concern is within the same department, yeah. the same athletic department from the same university. I think that's what makes this different. Maybe it's different when, like, it's a rivalry situation. Like, I wonder if Nate Oates heard Bruce Pearl say, you know, joke, smashed. Uh, you know, I, I, heck, you know, look at uh, Eric Musselman this year after the Arkansas game in Alabama. He brings up specifically – Nate Oates complaining about the free throw discrepancy in last year's game. By the way, the free throw free throw discrepancy that Oates was complaining about was forty three to eight, and uh, Musselman was complaining about you know like a maybe maybe a fifteen uh, free throw discrepancy. So I remember Musselman brings that up. Oates's comments from like six to eight months earlier. So yeah, they definitely you know if it's a rival, you definitely uh, if it if it takes up a lot of real estate in your head, he definitely remembered that and uh pulled it back out but you know it's not a situation where where they're making making notes of it at least not it's got to be something significant i i just think that when you look at this overall situation when nick saban came to the podium and said what he said he definitely and i said it a couple of days ago he wasn't thinking about nate oates and when nate oates misspoke he wasn't thinking about nick saban uh, he was just thinking about his program, the here and now. And that's where a lot of these coaches live within the moment. And I think that 
it, it's up as media members when we definitely bring it to one's attention as to what someone else said, then that's when they either say, I, I never heard that, I could care less, or they give you that classic one-liner that lives forever as far as continuing to have media fodder about it. You're listening to The Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5 with Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner. Hey, this is Slick Willie Shaw from the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters. You're listening to Sports Radio WNSP 105.5 FM. The final drive here on WNSP with Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner taking you to the top of the hour where we'll have our Tide and Tiger report. And Alabama's Pro Day today, one of the participants was DJ Fluker. Yeah, that DJ Fluker, the same Foley Lion. Six foot five, 340 pounds worth of an offensive tackle. In 2021, he was on three NFL practice squads, the Dolphins, the Raiders, and the Jaguars. The last roster he made was with the Baltimore Ravens in 2020. But DJ Fluker looking very good in today's college NFL pro day at Alabama. And I just think that DJ Fluker, if anybody's going to continue to make a comeback, and be successful in the NFL, it is DJ Fluker. Yeah, he, he looked in shape, at least, that's for sure. I mean, he was killing it in the drills. I mean, he showed up, what, what did you say, 3.30, and he's got a six-pack? So, I mean, man, the guy uh, the guy can still uh, do it, at least. So, we'll, we'll see if a team gives him a shot. Well, I, I hope that he does get an opportunity to continue to fulfill his dream. And you're just talking about the passion that DJ Fluker has for the game. And he's one of those that if you've ever had an opportunity to meet DJ Fluker or seen his hands, his hands, I can put up both of mine. And that's how monstrous and how mammoth his hands are. And that's what you want to see out of an offensive tackle in the NFL and for him to get back in plain weight shape and to show off that he's ready to be signed, I think he'll have an opportunity. I mean, just looks trimmed down and really looks in, in shape. And, and good for DJ Fluker wanting to still have an opportunity. And worst case scenario, you get signed to an NFL practice squad again and have an opportunity to continue to fulfill your dream. Yeah, I mean, you just you, you it's the kind of headline you love to see. So uh, we'll do. I mean, we certainly will keep you all updated on that. Foley High School's DJ Fluker trying to make that comeback for the University of Alabama. The Tide and Tiger report coming up next here on WNSP 
This is the Tide and Tiger Report on 105.5 FM WNSP. An hour of the latest news and reports from the Plains and the Capstone with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. Brought to you by State Farm Agent Heath Parker and Dr. Chris Walton of Premier Medical Eye Group. Streaming live on the Sound of Mobile app, here are Corey and Michael. Welcome to the Tide and Tiger Report here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. And, of course, we're in the middle of March Madness to where the Alabama Crimson Tide will take on San Diego State tomorrow right here on WNSP 105.5. And, Michael, when you start talking about this matchup with the Alabama Crimson Tide and San Diego State, we both have Alabama winning the national championship. But this matchup, again, in the Sweet 16, could possibly be one of the hardest matchups for Alabama, and it's always surviving in advance. But I'm looking forward to seeing if San Diego State can slow Alabama down because I've said it, moving forward, every game Alabama plays now, they're going to have to hit at least – at least six three-pointers to me to win. And defense travels, and it's going to win games for you. But these are two squads that are defensive gurus. Yeah, I mean, these are two teams that are both ranked in the top five in Ken Palm adjusted defense, which, you know, if you don't want to take it as uh, as the gospel when it comes to basketball rankings, you should because it kind of is. But, uh, yeah, no, in all seriousness, uh, two very good, very, very strong teams defensively. I think six threes is about right for what you need uh, to realistically. I mean, you, you're going to have to make some shots here. And, and, and if you don't, it, it, it might be it – it could be a long night against San Diego State. They're, they're certainly far from the strongest team offensively, uh, but they are long and they can cause matchup problems and – they're fully capable of making it a long night for the Crimson Tide if, if uh, the offense doesn't show up. Well, I think that it's going to, you know, Alabama loves the three ball. You know they're going to put up 25, 26 threes. And if on At a least. good night, if Alabama's hitting eight, nine of those, then they're definitely having an opportunity to win the game and to really dominate their opponent. Now, are you going to be able to stop Alabama from shooting that many? No, because there's been games to where I'm telling Alabama, stop shooting the damn ball. Yeah. Stop shooting it. Just stop. Get to the line. Get to the hole. Penetrate. Find fouls. Get to the free throw line. Because when it's when it's falling, it's falling. Now, you're never going to make what you don't take. And that's the MO for Alabama. They're going to continue to take and take and take. But we saw earlier in the year, I think Alabama had a game where they only hit three threes and still found a way to win. I believe but that was the Arkansas game. Ultimately, defensively, they're going to have to find a way to get it done. I mean, this, this, this game will come down to defense. And I, what, how, how many points is it going to take to win this one? 65? Uh, at least. 65 get it done? I, I, 65 will get it done for Alabama. Alabama comes away with the win. With sixty-five, yeah, no, no question. Yeah, I think I think sixty-five gets it done. I I mean, San Diego State has uh, in their first two rounds has held opponents below sixty. Uh, I believe I, I maybe even below fifty-five if I'm not mistaken. I think like fifty-one and fifty-two. So I mean, 
if it's the slugfest it's supposed to be, which as we're saying this, you know, it'll probably be an 80 to 70 game. But if it's the slugfest that on paper is supposed to be, heck, 60 might get it done. And we have somebody in the app says slowing Alabama down isn't always up to the defense. The offense has to do its part to make Alabama have to push the ball the length of the floor versus half court fast breaks on multiple misses. And you're going to have multiple misses if you're not shooting the three ball because Alabama's going to shoot more threes than twos. And this is a fact. This is just the pace that they play. The pace and space are very important for Nate Oates. And trying to get that shot off within the first seven seconds of the shot clock is very important for the Alabama Crimson Tide. But here in the Sweet 16, this is what I hope does not happen to Alabama. As you continue to go further and further, you get tighter and tighter. And that's what you see with some of these teams that are favored. You starting to get tighter and tighter. Ask Purdue when it got down to the stretch, how they started feeling. They, they knew that they were the number one seed. And they just couldn't handle the pressure as it continued to get closer and closer and tighter and tighter in the game versus FDU. And I don't want that to be the case with Alabama coming down to, all right, do we have to make this three to put ourselves? To me, Alabama, if they have a six or seven point cushion under the four minute mark, they're going to win the game because they sit down. Not only do they shoot the three ball extremely well, but but Alabama does do a great job of sitting down and defending. And I do say this as a basketball coach, defense does travel. It is the hallmark of the Nate Oates system. Yes, offense and threes and threes and layups and dunks. That's that's what you want. No mid-range. You know, that's kind of what Nate Oates is known for nationally. Uh, but none of that happens without a, a very strong defense. The defense is the anchor of the team. And that was kind of what the problem was with this team last season. I mean, and... Nate Oates said it himself. He said it in the press conference. He's kind of pulling the old Saban, uh, the the old Saban using the media to talk to his team. If if you're not playing D, we're not going to play you. And I mean, you saw Shackelford get pulled a lot of the times. You saw Quinterly get pulled a lot of times. I think Quinterly's. I mean, he guys recovered from a torn ACL, but I think he's come a long way on the defensive end. I I think Mark Sears is has been invaluable on defense. Charles Bediaco. I mean, I, I, his freshman year last season, he was getting bullied. He was getting pushed around. He he went in the offseason, got a little stronger, maybe a lot stronger, put on a little bit of weight, and angry Chuck is uh is is back. Or not back, really. I mean, there were spurts of it last season, but has really arrived this season, and Charles Bidiaco has become the anchor of this team defensively. And obviously having a, a presence like Noah Clowney to play with him has helped that. But I think the – obvious again, it's a completely different team this year than last year, but in comparing them, I think the development of Charles Bidiaco is underrated, maybe the most important part of what has helped this team make the leap it did from last season to this season. Yeah, Bediaco has to stay on the floor and out of foul trouble without question. You want him to go to the bench – 
when Coach Oates is ready for him to go to the bench, not because he's picked up two fouls in the first four minutes of play. And that's what happened when he came to Mobile, Alabama and played at the Mitchell Center versus the Jags. He, he, He couldn't stay out of foul trouble. And there was times in the SEC tournament to where he fouled out. And that's something that just you don't want to happen. Okay, he can pick up four, but if he's going to pick up five, that fifth foul, you you better be up by double digits or more if the Crimson Tide want to continue to have that rim protector, that great extra rebounder for them to go ahead. Now, with that being said, the Alabama Crimson Tide got zero points from Brandon Miller in the first round. They get 19 in the second round, they've had an opportunity to rest his growing for four or five days, which is is great and dangerous for SDSU. How many does Brandon Miller score tomorrow night? 30. He goes off for 30. 30. Uh, that, that's a high number. 30. And, and why, what makes you feel that he can go for 30 against this defense? Because the game plan going in – it shows it shows hell not to let him score thirty. Yeah, no, I I guess it is the don't let Brandon Miller beat you. But heck, if Brandon Miller's not going to beat you, someone else will. So I I don't know. It just, it just I'm just yeah, I'm kind of just saying that with the with you asked me how many points Brandon Miller's going to score. I wanted to say thirty, but uh, it it feels like he's due for a huge one. I don't know. If uh, not, I mean, he was great. He was phenomenal against Maryland. Really, on on both ends of the floor. I mean, the sequence where he had the block, and then and then uh, if you, the Stewart call of it, Brandon, you deserve this bottom, and and he sinks the three, and that puts Bama up ten with like ten minutes left. Really allowed him to uh, to take control of that. It was like fourteen minutes left, whatever amount of time it was, it put Bama up ten, and. Yeah, I mean, he impacts the game, obviously, uh, way more so than just on offense. And, I mean, the development of Brandon Miller this season, uh, obviously, you see it on offense, but just as an all-around basketball player and how he impacts the game with more than just his shot making and his ability to get to the rim. His ability to get to the rim has improved significantly as well, but, I mean, he's unbelievable as a defender. He's unbelievable as a passer. He's obviously we know what he can do from three. I, it, it's I, he's just such a special basketball player, and, and, and it's not in one way. It's like there's ten different ways you could name that ten different things you could name that Brandon Miller is elite at. It, it, it is just unbelievable how special of a basketball player he is. I, I mean, it's beyond special. But but one thing's for sure: we know he won't be winning the Naismith Player of the Year award, and that's what amazes me that. Again, to me, the best collegiate basketball player is not having an opportunity. Jalen Wilson out. Uh, Trace Jackson Davis out. Drew Timmy's in. He's in. But but at the night out. I I don't know about that. (laughs) Now I have the Zags playing Alabama for the national championship, so I don't know. I think it's Timmy time tonight against UCLA. But Alabama comes in averaging eighty-two point three. And San Diego State comes in averaging 71.9. Now, San Diego State, 54.5, giving up stingy defensively. Alabama giving up 63. So something's got to give. That's why you asked what that magic number was for Alabama to win the game. I think 65 gets it done. It it, it does. I agree. I, I can't. I can't. 
argue with that at all. I think that, you know, maybe the first person to 62 does win the game. But the pace is definitely going to have to be slowed by San Diego State making it a half-court game. Alabama 31-5. and five. San Diego State trying to get to 30 wins. The Sweet 16 has not been kind to Alabama and Louisville, as Tom Stipe alluded to during the Wimp Sanderson era in 87. We remember the Providence and Billy Donovan squad that upset Alabama. We'll see if Alabama can avoid that same type of history here tomorrow at 5.30. Now, when we come back to the Tide and Tiger Report, Auburn had their pro day yesterday, and one Cam Newton made an appearance and was throwing to his younger brother. And we'll talk about that on the other side of the Tide and Tiger Report here on the final drive. Uh, this is Tim Brando of Fox Sports telling everyone along the Gulf Coast in Mobile, listen to the opening kickoff with Mark and Lee on 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the Tide and Tiger Report. Call now at 694-1055 or take part on the WNSP app. Once again, Corey and Michael. Welcome back to the Tide and Tiger Report here on WNSP 105.5. And again, when you start talking about March Madness, we were glad to see Alabama and Auburn both have an opportunity to play at Legacy Arena. But it was a very disappointing loss for the Auburn Tigers and pretty much summed up their entire season, not being able to close the deal, being up by 10 points at halftime against number one overall seed, or I said number one seed, Houston, the Cougars. That That's a great advantage to have in a pro-Auburn crowd in Birmingham, Alabama. And it just goes to show that Houston was taking no prisoners in the second half in regards to trying to beat the Auburn Tigers. And Auburn really didn't do themselves any favors with all the miss misses that they had from the free throw line. Again, totally 19 out of 36 from the line for the Auburn Tigers. And that really was their undoing. And Coach Pearl didn't take long to address what his next steps were for the Auburn Tigers following the loss to Houston. I'm proud of them, but I also have a pretty high standard. And so I'm grateful, and um, I want them to feel really good about the fact that they had a good year. But uh, if you know me, I'm on to the next play, and uh, I'll be recruiting tonight. And that's exactly what you have to do. If you're Auburn wanting to get back to that final four and true enough, this Auburn Tiger roster didn't have the same type of firepower power that it had when they made the final four appearance. But what you wanted to see was some type of improvement by Auburn. And what you did see if you're an Auburn Tiger fan is you were happy with the fact that Auburn was able to survive against Iowa in the first round because that was coming off of the SEC tournament. You didn't want Auburn to be a one-and-done 
in the SEC tournament as well as in the NCAA tournament. And giving Houston all they can handle for 20 minutes wasn't good enough because we saw them take Alabama to overtime after being up 17. But again, it it just exemplified what this season was for the Auburn Tigers and where they want to get better. And to me, is he going to make them even more dangerous next year for Bruce Pearl? Well, we know about the old Arkansas 40 minutes of hell. I mean, that second half against Houston, I don't don't even think hell justifies it. It was 20 minutes of something not good. (laughs) We'll call it 20 minutes of hell until I think of a better word for it. But, man, I mean, it was obviously a disastrous second half for Auburn, shooting-wise, offensively, defensively. I mean, it was as bad of it. They lost the second half by 27 points. So, I I mean, I understand why Bruce Pearl – is clearly was clearly disappointed after the game. Uh, you know, you miss 17 free throws, you lose by 17. Obviously, you're not going to make every free throw you take, uh, unless you're Houston, who was 18 of 18 in the second half from the free throw line. Uh, so it, it is what it is. Uh, Auburn obviously was a flawed team for most of the season, uh, the, a good team that could not close out games. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, the, it was kind of the final encapsulation of the Auburn season. Uh, they're up 10 on arguably the best team in the country in Houston uh, at halftime. And, and well, they go and lose the second half by 27 points. I mean, it was just kind of a perfect microcosm of, of the season for Auburn. It was, but Bruce Pearl talked about recruiting. The, the very day he lost, he talked yeah. about recruiting. The same thing for Hugh Freeze yeah. with his football program. As soon as he took the job, the first thing that he came away with is him wanting to establish – new relationships with the high school coaches in the state of Alabama. And this past week, a young man who is verbally committed to Alabama from Mobile Christian, Sterling Dixon Jr., he had a visit to Auburn and called it great and said the coaches showed him a lot of love and he really enjoyed it. He said they're making it hard for him to just sign with Alabama. I mean, did you see also, and I I, I hadn't seen a comment from him or anything on it, but Ryan Will- Ryan Williams visited Auburn this week too, and he he uh you know had some Alabama fans sweating a little bit by making a, a little War Eagle post. So yeah, <laughs> I think he's actually going to be back in Alabama this weekend. He he had tweeted something about that today, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you freeze getting the guys in the building. I mean, that's that's more than you can say about Brian Harson. And, and I think that that's going to be the biggest difference maker for the Auburn tie, and already has been the biggest difference maker because we know what Cadillac Williams showed and the enthusiasm and the electricity that he brought when Auburn played Texas A&M with the losing record and found a way to get it done. But here in the spring, again, no depth chart for Auburn. A lot of people state that the the starting quarterback for the Auburn Tigers is not even on campus, somewhere in the transfer portal coming out. But to be able to get four- and five-star recruits talking positively about the Auburn Tigers, that's definitely a step in the right direction for this program. Four- and five-star recruits from the state of Alabama who are committed to the University of Alabama, too. I mean, that's, again, compare that to Brian Harson, who high school coaches essentially said they'd never heard from the guy. I mean, that's infinitely more than you can ask for than you had with Brian Harson. So, again... Brian Harson should not be the standard, clearly. Uh, but if you're an Auburn fan, you have to be 
pretty thrilled with what Hugh Freeze is at least doing. And and, it, uh, and guess what? The results are going to come. I, I don't know if Auburn's going to land Sterling Dixon. I don't think they're going to land Ryan Williams. It's just those two examples. I, I If I were guessing, I don't think they're going to land either of them. But the results will come. They, they absolutely will. Well, the next point of action for Auburn after they had their pro day, one of the biggest draws was Cam Newton throwing – in front of pro scouts and having an opportunity to to say he still has gas in the tank and that he feels that he can make an NFL roster as a starter. Well, there ain't there apparently there ain't thirty two dudes better than uh, better than Cam. Mm. <laughs> well, well, the thing is though, he was throwing to his younger brother. He had a couple nice throws, by the way. And I, I think that Cam. Throwing to Kalen Newton, his younger brother, still has gas in the tank. But it was just great to see the swagger of Cam on campus, being an Auburn man, being a former Heisman Trophy winner, having a statue of himself not too far away from the stadium. That that That's pretty impressive. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I think I disagree with you that he's got gas left in the tank as we kind of got into the other day. And, you know, I, I don't want to start a whole 10 minute segment here because we got Mick Gillespie coming up at 530. But I mean, it, it was good to see. I don't wish the guy ill will. I mean, he's a he's a likable guy. And, uh, you know, Cam Newton is, is going to be Cam Newton. And, and for better or worse, that that is who he is. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, his name just finds a way to keep popping up in the headlines, doesn't it? It, it does, and, and that's Cam Newton for you, though. I mean, but Tank Bigsby, where do you think Tank Bigsby as that running back at Auburn? I mean, this, this joker, to me, he can get it done, and he's shown that inside the tackles, outside the tackles. Where do you think he lands in the NFL draft? Mm, it's, it's just so hard to gauge the running back market at this point. Uh, Draft-wise, like we talked about on this show, I mean, running backs are not valued the way they were. Bijan Robinson is probably going to go in the first round, but he'll be in the only one. Maybe Jameer Gibbs too, but uh, I mean, no one seems like no one wants to wait, use a high first-round pick on him. So it's it's hard to say exactly where he'll go. But I I fully think that uh, Tank Bigsby is going to be a good NFL running back. Uh, whether whether that means he's worth a third round pick or a fourth round pick i i mean again these there's a lot of these guys out there uh is is tank a notch above some of these guys sure i I, i'm sure he is but you know i don't know if that necessarily means uh he's worth a day day two pick Uh, i mean running backs are running backs but he is going to be a good player in the nfl absolutely Derek hall is somebody i'm excited about as well for the Auburn Tigers to see where he lands and to see whether he's a first or second day guy. And and I'm with you, Owen Papo. I want to see where he winds up landing as well. But when you have your pro day, it's an opportunity to where you've already put out your film. It's it's really having the GMs and those that are at hand to, to really get a chance to see a second and third eyes because normally what happens is those who showed up for the senior bowl a different set of evaluators come in face-to-face to to get a chance to see you. And we'll talk more about pro days and who shined, whether Bryce Young from Alabama is a number one type of guy for the Carolina Panthers or not. 
coming up next here on the Tide and Tiger Report with Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner. Hi, I'm Michael Pierce, NFL defensive tackle. When I'm in the city of Mobile, you can normally find me at WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the Tide and Tiger Report. Call now at 694-1055 or take part on the WNSP app. Once again, Corey and Michael. Welcome back to the Tide and Tiger Report here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. And we were talking about Alabama's pro day today with Bryce Young and a surprise visit from DJ Fluker, who looked really ripped and ready to make a comeback. And again, in 2021, he was on three practice squ- squads. And in 2020, he played last with the Ravens. But our next guest on the Tide to Tiger Report, Mick Gillespie from Bama Insider, had an opportunity to see the Crimson Tide play at Legacy Arena in Birmingham. And Mick, good afternoon, and thanks for joining us here on the Tide and Tiger Report. Hey, anytime, man. Roll Tide. Absolutely roll tide roll as we had Tom Stipe on earlier today and he was talking about the jinx with the Crimson Tide and the the Sweet 16 and playing two games in Birmingham and then moving on to Louisville. The last time that they did that, they lost to Providence. I really don't see that being the same scenario against San Diego State, but I do feel that the Aztecs will give Alabama all they can handle. Yeah, look, I I love Tom. By the way, I've known him for a long, long time, and um, and I used to work with him at Crimson Tide Sports Network. I, I just don't think it's a jinx. I, I don't think Alabama's basketball teams have been elite. I don't think they've been that good. They were okay, um, and then you know they ran into some bad luck. What was it like seventy six when they lost to Indiana and Bobby Knight's undefeated team? But the best teams win in these tournaments. So if you lose, then that means that you're not the best team. And I feel like this Alabama team is different than the teams that we saw with Wimp, uh, with Sam Newton. I think Nate Oates is the best coach Alabama's ever had, and I think this is the best team Alabama's ever had. I, I don't even know that that's a stretch to say that. And when we argue about, okay, well, who, you know, how do the brackets break out? When you're the best team, you go in and you win those games, you win these games. Alabama clearly has better players than that, than uh, San Diego State. But if they don't play their best, San Diego State will beat them. And so, you know, what you hope is that this team hits threes. And if they hit threes, um, the way that they play defense and attack the basket, it, it, it'll be, uh, you know, It'll honestly, it'll be a, a, a game that sets up Alabama for the best season they've ever had. Well, you want them to have the best season they've ever had if you're an Alabama fan. And if you're in the South bracket, Alabama has set itself up as the number one overall seed. And to me, does have the best college basketball player that exists. And I, I think that it's sad that Brandon Miller is not, even nominated or does not make the final cut for the Naismith player of the year. 
Yeah, I agree because he's the best player in the country, you know, and, and we have a lot of national media. A lot of them are my friends, too. So this, this comment isn't, isn't said out of anger. It's just said out of, the, of a matter of fact that these guys don't care what the facts are. And they want to be judge, jury, and executioner when it comes to Brandon Miller. That they have, there's a crusade with some of these guys in the national press to throw this guy under the bus when they don't know the facts. They don't even care what the facts are. You know, one guy in particular, Clay Travis, who I know, and I, I like Clay, but I'll tell you, when I hear him talking about Brandon Miller, um, I, I just think that everything he says is absurd. I, I it's crazy to me, honestly, because we come, we're come. we in a country where you're supposed to be innocent and to prove guilty. And time and time again, Brandon Miller is a guy who you can't prove anything uh, uh, about other than, you know what, he went to pick somebody up and, um, and it was a, a bad situation that he kind of walked into. And he's been cooperating with the, the authorities, and, uh, and I think that's going to continue. Uh, but at the same time, he's being punished uh, by by the national press, by the fact that he's not allowed to, uh, you know, he's not going to be nominated in some of these awards uh, for the best player in the country because of that. And, um, and, and that's a shame because I feel like if the police thought that he was in any way involved in this, then he would have been charged with something he wouldn't be playing right now. But to the national press, they don't care. Um, they've decided that he doesn't deserve to play, and they're trying to, anytime they get a chance, punish this kid. Well, not only is the national media holding it against Brandon Miller, I think that he has an opportunity over these next games to take it personally. And we saw what happened when they took on South Carolina. He put on a 41-point performance and coming off of that donut in the first round and 19 in the second he has an opportunity to show why he's still elite and the best college basketball player on the planet and one of the things that San Diego State's head men's basketball coach Brian Dutcher said and of course he he's a disciple of Steve Fisher who really kind of propelled SDSU and got the Aztecs on the map he said what most college coaches would say or any coach of a head team he said we know what our opponent is and we know how good they truly are but we expect to beat them and I, I don't expect the coach to say anything other than that but sometimes you got to be careful when you do give bulletin board material at this point in time look I, I i think that they have a chance to beat alabama i mean i saw alabama lose to oklahoma by like 40 something you know so this this Alabama team isn't invincible. You know, they lost some games this year. Um, they have a great team. But if I was the Aztecs, this Aztecs team has a bunch of veteran guys. This is the exact opposite of Alabama. Alabama has Quinterly and a bunch of really, really good underclassmen. The Aztecs are a bunch of guys that are veterans that might not have the same amount of talent but they have the smarts to play basketball. And that makes it, and they're also really physical. They're going to try to slow the game down on Alabama, uh, you know, kind of play that same style that Tennessee played against Alabama when they beat them in Knoxville. And so if I was the Aztecs, you know what, I would go into this game too thinking I have a chance to win. 
We're talking to Mick Gillespie, host the Tailgater Show on Bama Insider. You can hear it all over the state during football season on pregame. Mick, I, I, how, how much would it mean for this team to you? I mean, I think that winning a national championship in college basketball is the hardest thing to do in sports, really. But how much would it mean to even just make it to the Final Four? I mean, we've never been there. Yeah, look, man, I grew up watching Maryland basketball. Uh, and matter of fact, I transferred from the University of Maryland to Alabama. And when I got to Alabama, um, the program was a joke compared to what I was used to, watching Gary Williams in Alabama. And eventually I saw Alabama win a national championship. And uh, I was there in person. And I watched all those years, Lefty, Trezell, and Gary Williams, and, and some really great teams come up short. I never thought that Alabama would be in this spot as the number one overall seed and have the best player in the country and have a coach that's better than any. I wouldn't take anyone for NATOs, to be honest with you. I think he's the best coach in the country. And it's shocking to me that Alabama's with that awful arena that they play in, uh, compared to their competition that's in this spot right now. But I think that this team, this this could be one of those years. You're right. I think it is the toughest uh, uh, championship to win in college sports because there's so many places that things can go wrong. But what I really like about this team and what reminds me of the Maryland team that won the championship in 2002 that I was there to watch and a lot of these other teams that I've seen win, is that Alabama, when they're doing their thing, they are crashing the boards, both sides, offense and defense, and they score those points inside. The tip backs, um, you know, Fediaco right now is playing as good as any inside player in the country. You know, uh, Brandon Miller is the best player in the country, the way that Sears is playing. Quinterly's ability to shoot the ball, he's hot now. Um, you know, Griffin's able to play some defense. So it takes the defense and, and, and all those, like, balls that are bouncing around, tipping them up through the, through the bucket because you get into these big arenas, and I've been through it, man. I've, I've been every round of the NCAA. I've seen it all. You get to the Final Four, and, and it, the ceilings are a lot taller because they're played in bigger venues, and it's just a different vantage point for guys to shoot. So if the threes don't fall, you got to be able to get the, the rebounds and put them back. And Alabama did that in the SEC tournament, and then they did that in the first two rounds. What, what about the taking of two coaches, getting head coaching positions, both in the Sunbelt Conference, meaning they face one another off Nate Oates' staff? At this point in time, I know Nick Saban in the college football playoffs has been known to say it can be a distraction. Now, in basketball, knowing that's the case, do you feel that it can be a distraction? And how does Nate Oates, is it going to hurt recruiting moving forward for these four- and five-star prospects for the Alabama Crimson Tide coming the spring and the summer? You know, I've spent, uh, I don't know, 15 years plus covering baseball, covering Chicago Cubs baseball. And when the Cubs won the World Series in 2016, got a World Series ring. And I also was there to see what the organization looked like, what Theo Epstein put together before the World Series. And then I watched the same thing, where, you know, every time you turned around, someone that was really important 
was hired by another organization. I've covered Alabama for 20-some years. And when Mike Shuler was coaching, no one really wanted those guys. They even got there, and Alabama started winning championships every single year. You lose coaches because every single year, Alabama's at the top of the heap, you know? And that's part of being successful. And it does have an impact. I don't know. I don't know that it's going to have an impact on this tournament because I think that these coaches are focused on doing the things that they have to do to win a national championship. Because I think that you know they they've worked so hard to get to where they are right now. Uh, unlike Kiffin, for example, when he was offensive coordinator for Alabama, and he got the job at FIU. And Nick Saban basically had to push him out of his job because he, he honestly, the, the game plan that he put together against Washington in the, in the playoff game was so horrible uh, that it was time for him to move on. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think this is going to be more like Jeremy Pruitt or, uh, or Kirby when they got hired in their jobs and they stuck around and did things to make sure that they took advantage of this opportunity. But when, But my whole point is, when you climb the mountain and you get to the top, people want your coaches. So that's just the way that it goes. And you're right. I mean, it, I, I, I thought it was funny to see the first coach go and then the second coach go. And, I, and I'm like, okay, well, you know what? What Nate Oates is doing right now is honestly what every college really wants to have in their head coaching position. No doubt about that. And and that's very important that you start. And congratulations to both of the coaches that are on Coach Oates' staff. And we, Michael and I talked about that. That's a good problem to have. When That means you're winning. That means you're doing something right because not too many assistant coaches are going to be picked off of a losing team. But we'll switch gears over to football in this last couple of minutes. Today's pro day, Bryce Young, do you feel like he'll be an overall number one pick? I know Saban said height is not an issue, but do GMs, especially for the Carolina Panthers, see it the same way? Look, if, Corey, if I knew the answer to this question, I mean, that I'd be rich, right? Because <laughs> I would love to go out there and go, hey, man, he's going number one. Um, I would definitely, if I was in their, in their spot, um, Look past the fact that you know what the guy's not six foot four, and and like Nick Saban said today, look at what the guy has accomplished on the football field. Ask his opponents about his size, and look at the NFL right now. You know he's a better version of Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray was even when he was in college, and he's a Heisman Trophy winner, but he wasn't even close to as good as Bryce Young. He didn't have the accuracy that Bryce Young throws with. The, Bryce Young's one of the smartest football players I've ever covered. You know, he, he, he feels the pocket. He's not afraid to throw the ball down or throw it away and, and play for the next play. Welcome back to the Tide and Tiger Report. Call now at 694-1055 or take part on the WNSP app. Once again, Corey and Michael. 
It's been a great day here on the final drive and the Tide and Tiger Report. Want to thank Trent Dilfer, the head coach at UAB, along with Tom Stipe from Crimson Tide Sports Network. Lindsey Crosby joined us along with Mick Gillespie. And, Michael, everyone can tune in and listen to all those great interviews that we had today on our podcast. WNSP Now, wherever you get your podcast, search us up. WNSP Now, you can get uh, opening kickoff, final drive, uh, prep spotlight coming up next here. You can get Throw It Deep. You can get the Double Team podcast with Nick Wiggins and Steven Root. So WNSP Now, just search it wherever you get your podcast. And again, a great interview. Trent Dilfer making his debut here on the final drive, so you don't want to miss that interview to go back and listen to that as well. And we'll see if the Crimson Tide can roll tomorrow. Our show will be from 3 to 4.30, but coming up next, the Prep Spotlight. Pigskin Pete is in the building. You definitely want to tune in to that as well. For Michael Bronner, I'm Corey Labounty. We'll talk to you tomorrow.